You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Well, hey, church, let's jump into the Word together. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 127. Today we're beginning a Advent series as we walk through the Psalms for this Christmas season. And all of the Psalms that we've selected for this version of his playlist have to do with building foundations. Uh, we are moving into a new facility, a new building, and we want to examine what, what do the Psalms have to say about prayers to the Lord, about things that we're working on, things that we're building. And so Psalm 127 uh, shapes our hearts around not just the, the buildings that we build, but even the legacies and the families that we build. And so we hope you see that uh, emphasis. We've been emphasizing that the past month in our church, and I think it's a really healthy thing for us to center our minds around, um, as we, especially as we move into this new uh, building. Next week, we'll have our first service in our first ever owned property. And uh, this psalm uh, has much to say about a legacy and about building as do the other psalms that we'll be preaching through this month. You know, when I grew up in church, uh, I can vividly remember hearing people uh, use the word house of the Lord to describe uh, the church building. Now, that's theologically not the most correct statement. Now, the house of the Lord is used um, in Scripture. Oftentimes, it's referring to the Jewish temples. Um, but in the new, new Covenant, in the New Testament, we see that the house of the Lord is actually the people. And so we want to have a right theology when we look at buildings. But it is important for us to see that um, having a structure that the church gathers in can be very beneficial. But let's make it clear, Jesus doesn't live here at this building that we're moving into. Um, this house isn't uh, where, where his dwelling place is. His dwelling place is his people. Um, and so we need to understand that. Let me uh, read this song. Psalm for us to begin. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, is the title, a song of ascents of Solomon. Verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so this uh, psalm gets at this legacy and this building that we get to be a part of in our lifetimes. Again, let me emphasize that um, that we actually are the temple of God. First uh, Corinthians three sixteen says, "Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you?" First Peter two five says that we ourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's why we can worship uh, scattered um, in our homes today in very many different places and not gathered in one specific location. But as we look at these things, um, know that, that we also have a deep significance in permanence. Uh, New Heights Church is here to stay, not because we have a building, but because we are committed to the mission and, and the advancement of the kingdom in our region that God's placed us in. Now, the building that we've acquired can be an outward sign of that. It can communicate to our communities that we are uh, seeking permanence and seeking to remain. And verse 1a says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. 
listen, there's no way I could ever build a house. I'm just not wired that way. I struggle with Legos. Um, and my dad is the opposite. My dad lives to this day in a house that he built. It's quite remarkable when I think about him building it from nothing, just going into a field, clearing it, and building a house and still living in it um, 36 years later. Um, but you know, if I were going to build a house, I would just not. I would call Travis Townsend or Randy Tibbetts and I'd say, hey, you guys got to find me a house, a modular or a double wide, and we're going to put it on some property. You know, there's a playhouse in our new pre-K room that that I couldn't even put together without Jeremy Barry's help. That's how that's how uh, <laughs> that's how difficult these things are for me. But as as Solomon uses this analogy to describe uh, the foundation, spiritually speaking, he says that the Lord works through our work. This is a powerful idea that that through the the labor of our hands, the Lord is actually working. It doesn't just say the Lord builds the house. Doesn't just say that you know we walk into things that the Lord builds for us. It says unless he unless the Lord builds it, then we build it in vain. And so it, it indicates that the Lord is working through us. That through your work, the Lord is working. And I want you to understand that in a real way, not just in the physical work that you carry out, but the spiritual work of your lives, the mission that you've been called to of making disciples. The Lord could do that without you, but in His sovereignty, He has chosen to do it through you. What a great grace that is. Solomon knew this uh, analogy well as he had oversaw the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, he knew that it was a useless display of majesty if the Lord wasn't in the project. Uh, similarly, he knew that the Lord's oversight and care needed to be present in the care of a city. As a king, he would know this well. In the second half of verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So the, the word vanity is a word that Solomon used frequently in Ecclesiastes, but he uses it here in this song that he writes, and it means useless. It, he means it's useless for us to work fervently and build with our hands, or it's useless for us to keep watch without the Lord. Uh, working through us. The first half of the verse has to do with building, and the second half deals with protecting what we've built. And so what that means is we don't idolize or over-prioritize the things that we've built. We understand that they belong to the Lord ultimately. Our, our wealth, our little kingdoms, our church buildings that we have worked hard on, we don't idolize them and obsess over them. We understand rightly that they belong to the Lord. And in verse 2, he continues with the same theme using the word vain again. In verse 2, he says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Man, can I get an amen? This is my life verse. It says we don't have to get up early. I love this verse because I'm not a morning person. I don't like waking up. I had to drink a full throttle this morning so I could function. Um, but notice what the folly is, though. It's not that you have, uh, the, it's not dealing with what alarms you have set on your phone. The folly is the bread of anxious toil. What does that mean? Well, what Solomon's describing is bread meaning a, a recurring meal. That's, that's the analogy he's using. And so the bread or the recurring thing of anxious toil is, is anxiously working all the time worrying about things and overworking. Um, those things are vanity. Solomon says. And so God has designed us to work, but he's designed us to work with rest. And so a question I wanted to challenge you with this week, church, is how do you sleep? How do you rest? Is it, is it anxiously? Is it wor do, you, do you sleep and rest on Sunday worrying about what Monday looks like? Well, the word of the Lord here tells us that shouldn't be so. That, that God gives and offers to his beloved, his elect. He offers us sleep. 
He offers us rest. He, he, he takes away the anxiety of overwork. You, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of you have made the mistake, especially you husbands, of taking a nap when your bride is cleaning the house, right? Like, you know how big of a mistake that is. And, and so sometimes we overcorrect, right? And so the overcorrection of being lazy will be we'll work all the time. Well, Solomon says that's vanity. And, and think about, just for a moment, the practical grace of sleep. I mean, we go to gas stations to fuel up our cars, and God could have designed us to, to rejuvenate in a lot of different ways, but He's designed it where we get to lay down and uh, just take the weight off of our limbs and our muscles and close our eyes and shut our brains down. I mean, what a great grace sleep is to us. Amen? Now, as, as a matter of fact, I think this, this whole psalm, as it speaks about building and then about resting, I think it's actually the whole psalm is about family. I think the, the building of a building and, the, and the, the, the danger of overwork are ultimately analogies that lead us to the climax of the song, verses 3 through 5, which talk about children. That, that as we build our homes and our places of worship and our cities, and as we work anxiously to protect what we've built, I think Solomon is leading us to the point of saying we can't neglect the generations that come after us. We can't ignore those things. That we have to prioritize the beauty of the continuation of God's family. Uh, he uses my favorite Hebrew word in verse 1 when he uses the word house. You guys know it. My favorite Hebrew word, bayith. It's like in Lincoln County, when you stink, you have to take a bayith. It's two syllables, bayith, and it means my descendants forever. It could also mean a physical house, but the Jews often use it to describe their descendants. And so he's saying, um, when you build the house, the Lord has to build it. When you build your family, your legacy, your descendants, forever. The Lord must be in that. In verse 3, he gets to the climax of the psalm. He says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So children are a heritage. Other translations use the word gift here in English. That, that what, we, what we need to understand, those of you who are parents and grandparents, that, that your children won't always feel like a gift. Amen? You don't have to say amen out loud if you're watching with your children. But, but they're not always going to feel like a gift. But the Bible tells us the truth is that children are a gift from God to us. And so parenting is being part of the ministry of legacy. So that means that generally speaking, we should seek to reproduce. It is a good thing to have children. We should also seek to adopt. Um, many people can't have children, and um, I think fostering and adopting children is one way that we can step into those spaces and, and be the kingdom light uh, to our communities. We should also practice the act of spiritual parenting. If you're single or if you're married without children, don't think that you just get off the hook from the blessing of children that we see in this psalm. The, the, the reality of the scriptures is that all of us are called to be spiritual parents in some capacity in the church. Verse 4 describes what these children, these gifts in our life are like. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. I love this analogy that our, our kids are like arrows. Uh, I, have, I have five kids and I have five arrows tattooed on my forearm here um, and and my kids actually got to pick the collars of the fletching on each of the arrows and so those represent my children it's based on Psalm 127 and when we think about this uh, you know what, what does an archer do with arrows he shoots them right he launches them out 
But our tendency is to hold back our children, to protect them, to wrap them in bubble wrap and, and do everything we can to take care of them. Now, listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't guard our children and protect our children. I'm not saying we should be flippant and careless with our children's lives. But, but know this, your, your arrows aren't meant to be held onto. They're, they're meant to be sharpened and then shot. You see, the, the head of the arrow is sharp, the fletching is intact, and the arrow is ready. That is what we are working toward with our children. Now, you don't launch your arrows out before they're ready to go. You don't send them out before the, the head is sharpened and the fletching is just right. Uh, the, the good warrior knows when his arrows are ready to be shot. And so, um, so as parents and as spiritual parents in the church, we are working on sharpening our children so that they can advance and be the tip of the spear, if you will, for the gospel advancement and the kingdom of Jesus in a world that needs to hear this good news. By participating in legacy ministry, we get to be a part of advancing God's kingdom. We get to fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when he spoke to Peter and he said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell, hell shall not prevail against it. What's pictured by Jesus is this offensive advancement of the church. And Psalm 127 ends with a blessing that comes to those who invest in children. Verse 5 says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver. That means kids are a blessing, not a nuisance, not an annoyance. I know it may feel like that sometimes, but, but let me... Let me adapt this verse in application. Not only is blessed is the man who fills his quiver with children, but blessed is the church who fills their quiver with children. Blessed will New Heights Church be the more children that we welcome into our church family. You see, I, I want to call you to this. I'm so thankful for our church and our church's investment in children. And maybe if you're on the sidelines with this, I want to call you into ministering to the next generation as much as possible. That, that maybe you get involved with our middle school and high school youth groups, or maybe you get involved in helping with our kids' ministry. Um, maybe it's something as simple as when you see and interact with children in this new facility that we're getting ready to enter into and have more space, that you actually get down on the floor on their level and know their names and know their interests and spend time hearing them. Never, ever find yourself in a position of looking down at these kids in our church or being annoyed by the noise that they make. Uh, we have to guard our hearts against that. Never allow yourself to, to become angered and frustrated with them because it is a great blessing that our church has this gift. The Bible tells us it's a gift. Listen, they're going to cry and carry on. They're going to damage this new building, probably on Sunday. In one week when we have our first meeting in here, they're probably going to break stuff the first day. It's going to happen. Uh, we, we have to guard against getting angry at them. You see, that's what target practice does. You see, when we learn to shoot arrows, we're never good at it at first. When we are shooting as target practice, we're going to create some collateral damage. And that's what we're doing. We're having our children in our midst creating some collateral damage because we're working on sharpening those arrows so that the gospel legacy can continue on far beyond us. And I'll leave you with uh, this passage in Matthew 18 as Jesus talks about uh, ministering in and among children. Uh, he says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put, them, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such 
child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. You see, our Lord Jesus takes this very serious, that he has called us to be legacy givers to children so that they would be sharpened as arrows to be launched out into a world of darkness to take light and hope of the gospel to them. And so uh, pray with your kids today. Spend time telling them and communicating with them your love for them and how much you appreciate them. And if you don't have children, pray for the kids in our church. Uh, Pray for the youth of our church and be ready to jump in and invest in the next generations to come in New Heights Church. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.